everyone. Welcome back to Generation Invincible, a podcast on public health, healthcare policy, and social justice issues by a millennial for millennials and anyone else that cares about the health and social problems facing our nation. I'm your host, Abigail Miller. And I'm back. I know you guys missed me so much, but that break was much needed for me. Partly because in this time, I made a big move from Georgia to Washington, D.C. This is something that I've wanted for such a long time, and I feel like I'm a living testament to the idea that if you want something bad enough and you work hard to get it, eventually everything will fall into place the way that it should. Speaking of hardworking women with big goals, today's episode is a very special treat for all of you. I had the absolute pleasure of speaking with Erin Schrode, a 25-year-old woman from California who recently ran for Congress in California's 2nd Congressional District. If that wasn't impressive enough alone, she started her nonprofit, Turning Green, in 2005 when she was just 13 years old. This unique start to a career in environmental advocacy was only her first step. Today, she's known as an expert in her fields, which include environmental action, social justice, public health, and responsible consumption. She has been dubbed a green pioneer by CNN, featured as one of the women working to do good by the White House, and is, quote, an internationally recognized speaker and leader among next generation social entrepreneurs. It is clear she is a leading millennial voice for environmental issues, and her personality and passion shown during our entire conversation. Don't just take my word for it. Please enjoy Generation Invincible's first episode back, where I spoke with Erin Schrode about her history, her congressional campaign, the environment, and so much more. Hey, Erin. Welcome to Generation Invincible. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk. I'm, I'm so excited that you had the time to, to talk to me today. So um, I'd like to start with you just telling me a little bit about yourself, especially how you got to be so successful and influential by age 25. (laughs) Thank you for those kind words. You're Um, welcome. You know, I'm born and raised in in Marin County in Northern California by a mother who became an activist when she was pregnant with me. Um, She read a book called Diet for a Poison Planet that completely transformed her life in a day, and therefore mine. Um, When I was 13 years old, a study came out that Marin County, um, born and raised, had the highest breast, prostate, and melanoma cancer rates in the world. And no one knew why, and we were told there wasn't money to do the testing. Um, Didn't sit right with my mom. She launched a door-to-door campaign that I watched quite literally unfold in my living room. And they went to 50,000 households on one day to ask a simple question, why? Why were these cancer rates off the charts? Um, and a couple of years later, I guess they said I was 13 when the study came out. I was 13 a couple of years later. So I think I was 11 when they started this process. But um, there was a, a study that linked the ingredients in cosmetics and personal care products to cancer, to birth defects, to reproductive harm. And suddenly this epidemic this health crisis in my backyard became very personal. I couldn't take my house off the grid. I couldn't switch my car to a hybrid car. I didn't have a house. I didn't have a car. I still don't own a house or own a car. But Mm -hmm. I could swap my soap, my shampoo, my deodorant, my 
know, girl, Britney Spears was a spokesperson for Herbal Essence Shampoo, and I had Maybelline full and soft in my, in my pencil case, the mascara. So that was the genesis that led to our first meeting in January 2005 for Turning Green, for the nonprofit that I cannot believe I co-founded now 11 and a half years ago. Wow. But it came so organically out of a need in my community, in the place where I was born, and it grew. You know, people responded so positively. What do you mean no one's looking out for our health and well-being? What do you mean there's no government oversight? And then asked, what can we do? And that's that beauty and the naivete of youth. We didn't know what it meant to go up against a multi-billion dollar beauty industry. We still looked. You know, I wouldn't have done it if I did. I, I, I'm so grateful that I started at a young age because you take those risks, you dare to go there, because so what if you fail? <laughs> you get mm-hmm. back up, you dust yourself off, and, and you're all the wiser because of it. And it grew. You know, cosmetics and personal care products into fashion, into school campuses as a palette for exploration, landscape, janitorial, food service, you know, focusing on prom and dorm, these emblematic teenage experiences, um, but really around environmental education and advocacy of fighting for, for policy change at the county, state, and, and federal levels while changing hearts and minds. That's, I, that's just so fantastic. You know, I think about where I was at 13 and, you know, looking back, I, I had these ideas, but I, I just think it's so amazing that your 13 year old self was like, I don't care what other people say, you know, I, I want to be the one to change this. And I think that's something that more and more our generation is starting to take hold of and go out into the world and do. So, uh-huh. so, um, from, from then on, what inspired you to run for Congress in California's second congressional district? Well, <laughs> it's, a, it's been a journey that in my, in my mind seems like such a natural progression. Uh, standing up against injustice, not being afraid to act, like you said, taking on these challenges. Um, for me, my go-to is always to show up, to go there, to be present. Um, I'm a I'm a people person, and I'm a I'm a doer. So you know, hearing about the earthquake in Haiti, something inside me snapped. I went. My working disaster response launched an education project. I've spent much of the last fall and winter working in Lesbos, Greece, and Macedonia with refugees um, coming fleeing Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, other nations. Um, I, I've spent time, you know, in the streets taking on racial injustice um, in the wake of, of, of the Eric Garner verdict in New York where I went to college. And so for me, it's been a journey of nonprofit activism around the environment and then doing more consulting with, with corporations around our generation and sustainability, millennials and sustainability, and then delving into all these social justice issues and just coming up against broken policy again and again and again and feeling like our generation is changing the world through business new startup models Mm -hmm. taking media to places we've never before seen this is a perfect example you launching a show from your laptop um you know the the nonprofit being you know used in 
totally different, you know, strategies and tactics that are brilliant, but where's that innovative thinking policy? And if the decisions being made today will disproportionately affect us, I believe we need a voice at that table. So I gave a speech about, <laughs> gosh, in March, it was like yesterday, yet maternity ago, um, I gave a speech in March, and the through line was, if not here, where? If not this place, Northern California, talking to you from you know, my home in Mill Valley. Uh-huh. Um, the proverbial questions we ask ourselves is not now when, if not us who. And I walked off stage and people said, how do we get you to run for office? So, uh, you laughed in their faces. <laughs> I said, I don't fit the mold of politician. I'm a 24-year-old woman, I'm an activist, I've never had any political experience, I don't have hundreds of thousands of dollars in the bank, I don't have the connections, I don't have the degrees, the family, the X, Y, and Z, and they said, that's exactly why you need to run. So, um, I had about a week and a half to, to decide, and I filed to run for United States Congress in California Second Congressional District. That's, I, I mean, I, I have said this before and I will say it again. You are seriously such an inspiration, um, to our, like of, and to our generation. I mean, you are, and, and thank you by the way, for the compliment that you worked in, in your response towards me. But I mean, um, you are just like the quintessential example of, you know, feeling, seeing those injustices, feeling like you wanted to do something, going out and doing them in the ways that you know, we sort of know how to do like going to Haiti and going to Macedonia and, and, and working on the ground level, but then also realizing that you can work at the top level and, and, and make changes on the way down. Um, but we need, we need policy change. Right. If we want systemic impact, not just these one-offs. And that sort of leads into the next thing I wanted to ask you. Um, but a huge part of your campaign had to do with making Congress more representative of the entire population, also known as less old white guys making decisions for literally everybody. And um, you had some pretty big ideas of what that change would mean for reform across the board in the United States. So what are the top maybe like two or three major policy changes that you think are essential in the next presidential term? Oof, top two or three, that's a toughie. Um, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go through, I mean, uh, we had, there I say, four. We had four key pillars of our campaign, um, which I, I hope to see politicians at all levels, including our next president, um, take on. The first is, is environmental and public health. Um the debate around climate change, is it real, is it happening? I think we we need to leave behind once and for all. Mm-hmm. The science is there. It's happening at a rate faster than any of us expected. But it is the basis for any, you know, solving any other challenges. If we do not have a planet that we can inhabit, everything else falls by the wayside. And this is an imminent threat to so many of us, like those, like myself and, and my constituents and my peers that live on a coastal place with sea level rise, with a changing climate that is going to threaten our global food supply and create more 
famine and, and food insecurity with the chronically climate refugees, which poses a threat to to global security and to our own national security. I mean, there's so there's such a, a domino effect that stems from you know what I believe is a human right, which is a habitable climate. Um, and I think that the there are solutions that exist, um, like with soil. Soil is an incredibly powerful, um, incredible resource we have literally beneath our feet, where we can sequester carbon, where we can take what's in our atmosphere and put it back where it belongs. And that's not just about mitigating further climate change. That's not just about preparing for changing climate. That's actually reversing it. Um, so I think environmental health is, is, a, is a huge aspect that, cannot be ignored and needs to be prioritized. Um, public health goes, you know, hand in hand with that. That's how we started turning green mm-hmm. um, and and people. <laughs> we need to protect our, our people. And, and when, you come, when it comes to toxins, um, you know, you saw it with the crisis in Flint, Michigan, and, and we'll see it again and again. Um, the second thing that I, I believe any president or any, any elected needs to address is learning and the future of work. Uh, we have people making decisions about an education system who graduated 40 years ago, you know, who don't understand what actually it is that we are being taught and need to be taught to be equipped for a 21st century life and, and workplace. Who better to make those decisions than those of us architecting that workplace, those of us that are designing the industries of the future, uh, industries are disappearing and, and we have a pulse on that in a in a more present effective way than, than anyone. We're also feeling the crippling burdens of student loans and, and student debt that will follow us for decades and cripple an economy if we don't address it now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then human rights. I mean, that's a broad umbrella, but that under that falls gender equity. And, and that's, yes, that's women's rights, but that's also... LGBTQ, that's this, you know, despicable discrimination that we are seeing still across our country um, in, in, in really devastating, gross manners, manifestations that, you know, with, with laws um, that, that sort of basically allow for, for institutionalized discrimination. Talks about racial you know, issues, and, and I, I don't think it's any lie, <laughs> any, any surprise that, um, you know, racial tensions are at a certainly recent history high, maybe an all-time high in our country right now, and people can't ignore that anymore. And the talks, you know, I think that's also about human rights on a global level, you know, with discrimination against women, against girls when it comes to education, refugees. I mean, there's just so many issues in our world where we don't recognize the dignity in another where we don't pause and, and think about people, other human beings, our fellow, you know, male and female kind. Um, and then the fourth, the fourth aspect that sort of a, a, a through line, but something that I, I think all, all government agencies, all people at any, in any um, industry need to address is technology technological innovation to make our system, particularly government, which is so antiquated, more uh, transparent, more efficient, and more effective if we really want to see 
solutions to the most pressing issues in ways that are relevant and actionable for the population today. I mean, I think that it's no surprise that no surprise to you, no surprise to me and no surprise to my listeners that uh, I obviously agree with all all four of the things that you just said. And, you know, I think that and right now we have this sort of disconnect where we think that, you know, environment and public health aren't aren't together. And we think that, you know, someone else's just uh, experience of discrimination isn't our problem and doesn't affect us like in every piece of what you just said there's a disconnect between between groups and between people and I think that the most important thing or one of the most important things right now is that we all need to come together and 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 get rid of that disconnect um so yeah um, and now this is video for your campaign you said that you want to make running for congress mean something so what did your campaign accomplish in the context of changing the way we view politicians? I laid out really clear metrics for success around knowing knowing what it meant to launch a congressional campaign 70 days prior to a primary election mm-hmm. against an incumbent of the same party having no political experience and loaning recognition. So... How could I then justify people getting involved and giving their time, their energy, their resources to our campaign? And so I wanted to add value. I wanted to make those 70 days and and onwards mean something. I wanted to shift discourse. I wanted to, I've said it before, I'll say it again, I wanted to redefine civic engagement, I wanted to reinvigorate the culture of public service, and I wanted to expand the definition of who can be a politician. And I believe that that was achieved beyond my wildest dreams, truly, because of the unexpected reach of our campaign and of this messaging, and people across my district, all throughout the United States, and around the world responded and said, I never thought that I could get involved in politics because no one ever looked like me, no one ever talked like me, no one really remotely understood what it's like to be me until you. People said, and a lot of young women specifically, she can do it, I can do it. That sort of empowerment, setting an example that we just don't you know, they say you can't be what you can't see. And having these sorts of role models is so important. Having people who dare to go there. And, and I, the only reason that I ran is because of amazing examples set by people before me. And if we could spur that in other people, then that's massive success. And, and I wanted to, when I talk about adding value, I mean, changing, you know, shedding light on the issues that matter and changing the dialogue. So when Glamour Magazine wrote an article about our campaign and talked about soil health, that's not exactly something that Glamour Magazine typically writes about or Glamour Magazine readers would typically read. That's success. When the Today Show brings a crew out here to, to Northern California and walks from door to door 
and talks about the issues that matter and learns about voter, you know, technologies and, and is speaking about them, that's success. When the incumbent sends out a newsletter about women's rights, not to say that this man hasn't ever done anything on the issue, but I was part of the six times within a half an hour. You know, people taking note of the way in which we're just causing um, the masses, the media, the other people running, my voters, to think differently. I'm so, so, so proud of that. As well you should be. I, I think that as millennials, we're, we're told that we have to have this qualification and this experience and this education and this recommendation in order to do what we're, what we want to do and make the change that we want to change. And I, it's amazing that you said, I, you know, I don't care that it, that I don't have what I'm supposed to have. I want to do this. And, and you went out and you did it. And, and and did make a, a huge change. I mean, your name is everywhere, and I think that you have re- you've really become a catalyst towards the kind of um, reform within politics that you and I both long for. And you. you're welcome. And I mean, your your reputation as a seek as a speaker certainly precedes you. Um, you're known as an expert on pretty much all things sustainability. So what do you think is the greatest environmental issue that the United States can and should work on changing today? I think I talked about it. I think soil. Soil health is this linchpin. Soil is this unbelievable way in which we can take action and address the rising levels of atmospheric carbon, which are you know, causing our planet to eat and causing all sorts of other destruction. The solutions beneath our feet, we have all the technology we need. It's not a particularly expensive or complex thing. We just have to do it. We have to put regulations in place to ensure that people actually, you know, step up and and and, and promote, um, not just promote, but utilize, you know, carbon farming techniques um, to, to sequester these, these, you know, levels of, of greenhouse gases that are in our atmosphere. Um, that's really exciting to me as a solution to so many of the issues that we're facing. Um, I think that, you know, and this maybe isn't exactly to answer your question, but not just at the, the you know, the, let's talk about the individual level, because I'm, I'm, I'm really passionate about being the change and that, yes, you can make a difference and it matters, you know, that you try to live a more, you know, less wasteful life, like Amy for zero waste, and that has to do with, you know, single-use and disposable. Yeah, we can all compost, and that's something that, you know, it's hard to talk about to people, because I'm like, hey, you should compost, that can make a huge difference. Well, legislation isn't in place to ensure that everybody has access to that. It's similar to, you know, zero waste. Well, if we implement, you know, taxes or bans, at the county levels across the country, that incentivizes, you know, a change in action. Um, but what's the biggest thing that you can do as a person? And, you know, maybe I sound preachy here, but diet. Think about the impact of your diet. And the single greatest way that you can reduce your impact on the planet from a carbon footprint level is to switch to a more plant-based diet. And so looking at, you know, where your food comes from and its impact is, is pivotal. 
I certainly agree with that. I, over the years, have sort of, as one might say, ebbed and flowed with my with my choices, but it's always been a, a conscious choice. And I think that being educated, you know, in in relation to all of your actions and all of your daily choices is is very important and your food choices is no exception to that. But, um, you know, in addition to that, for my listeners, your fellow millennials who, you know, they, we all just want to be successful and, and make an impact on the world, which you have done, but we're facing these classic barriers at every turn. Like, like you said, student loans or the job market or racism and sexism, so what is the best advice you have um, for these millennials based on your experiences? My best advice to my fellow millennials is to just do it. <laughs> <laughs> to steal a slogan from a company. No, <laughs> to go there. To do something. We all have these ideas. And yes, there are real barriers to change. There are real barriers to, you know, our ability to go forth, and then you name some of them. But I think that oftentimes one of our largest barriers is ourselves, is second-guessing, is procrastinating, is deciding we are not worthy, that we haven't been, you know, deemed thus by X, Y, or Z person. Um, so what? Uh, if more of us dared to do, dared to go there, to take that risk, the world would be a better place. And it's not easy. And that's not to say that everyone certainly has equal access to those sorts of opportunities. And, you know, we all have to work to close those gaps um, and, you know, bridge those gaps, not just close them, you know, build the bridges. But you got to start. you got to try. And you can't cut yourself off before you even get there. You know, don't let perfect be the enemy of the good. I think all of us want everything to be so perfect. We want to have our massive impact. We want to, you know, create the next big thing. Fabulous. You might have to fail a few times first, but the only way that you're going to fail, the only way that you're going to succeed is if you do. So you got to start. And that can be small. That can be in your backyard. That can be affecting one person in your community. That doesn't have to have this massive, massive global impact. But you start to see, as we did with Turning Green, it grows organically. It's this natural ripple that is propelled outward. And remembering that digital tools are powerful, but we live in the real world. So this has to be something that's actually grounded in action. There's no better time to start than right now, literally today, not tomorrow. No, yeah, the better time to start was 20 years ago. Okay, time for 2020, start now. And I think that just allowing people, especially our generation, who, you know, we're, we're so cognizant of what we don't know and what we aren't doing, that it can be paralyzing. Don't be rendered apathetic. Be the one who charted your own course, who wrote your own script, who followed their followed their dreams but made it a reality. That is perfect advice and I'm probably going to remember that the next time I'm feeling like a failure or feeling like I shouldn't even you know take that leap. I will most certainly remember that. 
Um, and remember that there are more people on your side than you even know. You know, there, there's so many of us that are these lone warriors, it feels, that are fighting these uphill battles, that are coming up against walls that seem insurmountable. But you can do it. And there are people cheering you on. I'm cheering you on. I'm cheering you on. I'm cheering everybody on. And then I just, you're not alone. And and it's up to you to turn the passion into action. And oftentimes we're our greatest um, critic. And, and we got to overcome those voices in our heads to put, you know, one foot in front of the other and go for it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're, we're wrapping up here, but I wanted to give my listeners the opportunity to keep up with your journey. So how can they follow you and, um, like what's going on with you online? Yeah, it's pretty easy. I'm Erin Schrode on every single platform, E-R-I-N-S-C-H-R-O-D-E on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, on Snapchat. Um, what else? I, I think those are those are the places where I exist mostly. Um, but I'm also here. I mean, I'm a resource. I'm a 25 year old citizen activist that is, you know, now delving into the world of, of policy. And at the convention, and everybody was introducing me as a politician. So, yeah, I, I, I'm a politician now, but I'm my same my same activist self, fighting a good fight and taking on that realm because I think it's so so important that that our generation doesn't give the shrug of inevitability when it comes to politics. Yeah. Well, I do follow you on almost all of those, but now I know I need to also add you on Snapchat. So I will do that. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah then, but it's, it's a fun, it's a fun medium. It's totally unfiltered. It's completely me. Yeah. Well, thank you so, so much for taking the time to come on the show today. I'm so appreciative and I'm so glad that, um, I was able to talk to you. So am I. Thanks for doing what you're doing. I mean, it's people like you that inspire me, but also people like you that are able to bring these messages um, to the masses. It's one by one. We're doing it. Thank you. Thank you. We're, you know, we're a team. Well, mm-hmm. okay. Well, I'll talk to you soon. Right, bye. Bye. To submit feedback about Generation Invincible, ask questions, make suggestions for future episodes, or if you just want someone to listen to what you have to say, email generationinvincible at gmail.com. Please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, and as always, share with your friends. Don't forget to check out Generation Invincible's Tumblr page. Until next time, as Aaron Trode has said previously, Big ideas start with a quiet little voice in your head that won't be quiet.